Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. Right, solo pod today. Before we get started on that, just a reminder that you can support the show on Patreon or through the vehicle of a one-off donation. Head over to scubaofficial.io slash support to get to all of those options. Patreon gets you a whole bunch of bonus content on either of the two tiers that we have, so it's a great way of doing it. But yeah, if you want to sling us some money, sling us a tip, I hate that term. If you want to use the tip jar, then there is a tip jar at scubaofficial.io slash support. We'd be very grateful for anything you can do for us here because obviously it does require resources to keep the lights on on the show. If you don't want to do that, then that's fine. Follow the show wherever you're listening to this. Hit the five-star button wherever you're listening to the show. Follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist. And join us on the Discord, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord if you've got anything to say about the show, any suggestions or anything you want to get off your chest, really. And there might be some stuff you want to get off your chest after you listen to this week's episode. Okay, today we are talking about Bandcamp, amongst other things. This is a topic which gets people excited, or if not excited, then certainly angry. What I'm going to try and do is summarize all the stuff I've read about it over the last week or so. The backdrop to this is the fact that it's been acquired again, this time by Song Trader. It was bought by Epic Games in 2022, March 2022. And previous to that, it had been independent, although caveat that by saying there was a round of venture capital funding back in 2010. So it had investors supervising, but it certainly wasn't part of any kind of wider corporate entity. And that has been, as I said, the case since 2022 when it's bought by Epic and now Song Trader. So what I'm going to argue here is that the important thing isn't to save Bandcamp. 
It's not to maintain Bandcamp in its current form. It's not to maintain the jobs of the staff at Bandcamp. That's not the primary objective, which shouldn't be the primary objective for anyone really in the industry. It's to ensure that there isn't a single point of failure in the ecosystem, which Bandcamp has become for independent music and for people who make music, which is niche, which doesn't have a mass audience. Bandcamp is a great platform. I you know, love it as much as everyone else. And I want it to maintain. I want it to stay as it is, absolutely. And there's no reason why it can't do. But it can't be the only solution. And as long as it is the only solution, then that's a really unhealthy position for the music ecosystem to be in. And so there needs to be some kind of way out of this where there are multiple affordable options because that's a really key thing. Bandcamp is a really affordable solution for musicians and independent labels. So we need to move to an environment where there are lots of these things, where there isn't a single point of failure, as I said, which means that if one platform goes down, then there's a kind of existential threat to this whole part of the music industry. So I'm going to draw pretty heavily on the work of Andrew Thompson in this episode, who has done some great analysis over at Components, which is a research project. I will add some links to the show notes if you want to dig into that stuff. And also writing by Phil Sherburn and Sean Ronaldo, as well as Corey Doctorow and various other articles covering this directly and also peripheral matters such as Discogs and the wider music market as a whole, analysis of that market. So it's all pretty impenetrable. (laughs) Well, is that the right word? No, it's not. It's just quite a lot of stuff to dig through, basically. And if you haven't done so, then I completely understand. Doing this kind of podcast for me is as useful as anything else as a way of getting my thoughts together on it and forcing me to distill them down into something vaguely coherent. So I'll attempt to be vaguely coherent. I've got a whole load of notes. I'm not quite sure how it's going to be structured, but it's going to have a stab, I think. So what is Bandcamp for the uninitiated? It's basically a method of selling music and merch and items directly to the consumer, which is say directly to music fans. You can use it as a label or just as an artist. You have to pay a bit more as a label to keep your page running. But generally speaking, it's a fairly low cost solution for selling direct. And it has peripheral benefits too. The most important of which I think is the network benefit of being able to view what other users have in their collections and generally speaking being able to I guess share the kind of cumulative knowledge of those purchases. Additionally to that there is an editorial layer in particular the Bandcamp Daily publication which is very very well loved and when people are wringing their hands about the potential damage which is going to be done to the platform as a result of increased corporate involvement. Bandcamp Daily is a big, big thing that comes up in people's minds. Now, this is not completely straightforward, I have to say, because yeah, okay, it's a rare example in 2023 of a pretty well-funded, or up till now, pretty well-funded editorial platform, but it is ultimately a layer of gatekeeping, essentially. And while it's pretty good at putting the light on unusual and niche artists, it is still a bunch of people expressing their musical tastes. So whilst 
acknowledging that it's well loved and it absolutely is it's not completely straightforward as a unambiguous benefit of what is supposed to be a, a kind of neutral platform for people to sell their stuff so there's another layer of kind of outrage to this which is that the Bandcamp workforce unionized earlier this year it's not the entirety of the employees there but Bandcamp United is the union that was formed as I said earlier this year and has been negotiating with Epic over the last few months to improve terms and conditions and is now presumably negotiating with SongTrader, the new owners. But SongTrader has already laid off half the staff and there are reports that the staff that have been laid off are disproportionately union members. So there's all kinds of machinations behind the scenes going on, no doubt, and almost none of it is in the public. And you can take, I suppose, with a pinch of salt, the stuff that has come out in public, including from the company in the form of a press release uh, or some statements anyway from the press team, and then also from the Bandcamp union and various members of that union who are you know, posting on Twitter and that sort of thing. It's all a bit opaque, but it's easy to understand why people are likely to get behind the staff in this kind of situation. And the added layer of a union just makes it even more emotive. So, I mean, this whole thing is, it's coming into a sort of perfect storm of music in, or independent music industry anyway, independent music industry outrage. So yeah, this has been brewing and it's kind of blown up. Bandcamp started in 2007 by Ethan Diamond and programmers Sean Grimberger, Joe Holt and Neil Tucker. I've read speculation, or maybe it's actually just direct information, that it was inspired by the Radiohead In Rainbows campaign, which was a name your price retail offering online with an additional layer of physical product, which was significantly more expensive. Well, it was an expensive physical product piggybacking on a pay-what-you-want digital offering. As I mentioned, the company had a round of funding in 2010. It's not completely clear online what happened there, but it seems like they raised about $40 million and it was bought by Epic, as mentioned, in 2022 for $273 million. That's a leaked price. It's not published, so that's a asterisk next to that but that seems to be seen as being reliable or at least reasonably reliable so the investors made bank on the sale in 2022 total revenues in 2020 were 177 million dollars that's total revenue so the net revenue was 21 million dollars so that's the charge that bank levies on all sales on the platform interestingly Physical sales, physical items, make up less than 25% of the items on sale on the site, but around 50% of total revenues. I mean, you think about it, that's not that surprising at all, given that a digital track is, generally speaking, sold for a buck or so. And the cost of a vinyl record, which is the biggest selling category of physical items on there, is at least 10 times that. So that makeup is, yeah, not mega surprising at all. Bandcamp customers are pretty typical in the sense that they're separated into fairly casual users and super fans. So 20% of 
Bandcamp users account for 80% of the site's total revenues. Again, not super surprising. That's fairly typical of the behaviour of music fans overall. Marketing to the superfan has been a big buzz word or a big buzz activity in the music business for a while now. But the obvious difference between Bandcamp and streaming platforms, we'll go on to how exceptional Bandcamp is in a moment. But if you're just comparing Bandcamp as a platform to Spotify, should we say, the leading streaming service, the big difference is on Bandcamp, you're able to realise the commitment of those super fans. So clearly on Spotify, it's a one-size-fits-all subscription fee, which has been static for a long time until the recent price rise, which was, I think it was 10% or something, so it's up to 10.99 in the US. But it had been static for over a decade, which is to say there had been real terms price cuts for over a decade. And a one-size-fits-all model, meaning that the superfan on Spotify isn't able to express their superfanness in financial terms on the platform. But on Bandcamp, you, you can. And that is expressed most obviously in the ability to pay more, as I said, like mirroring that Radiohead in Rainbows model. You can pay what you want for any release on Bandcamp. You can name your price. And as a, as a seller, you can set a minimum, but you don't even have to do that. You can literally leave it up to the kindness of the hearts of your fans. And we have done this, by the way, with Hot Flush on a number of occasions. And it's surprising the amount of people, when you put something up for nothing, are willing to pay. And sometimes willing to pay quite a lot just to express their, I don't know, support for you as an artist. So this is a real distinction, the most fundamental distinction probably, between the overall models of the two things. And we'll go on to look at the generosity, as has been termed, of Bandcamp users and the fact that really that's the USP of the platform as a whole. So just to put those revenue figures in context, the entirety of the recorded music market in 2022 was $31.2 billion. Now, these are figures from Media Research, which I'll link to in the show notes. So yeah, 2022, $31.2 billion is the total recorded music market. Spotify's revenues in 2022 were 12.3 billion. So that's a really significant part of the the entirety of the market. And as mentioned, Bandcamp for 2020, that's a estimate 177 million. But if you extrapolate out growth for the entire market and apply it to Bandcamp, it would still be under $200 million. So a small part of the whole market, very small, Independent music as a part of that total market. So as I, as mentioned, 31.2 billion independent music, as to say, labels and artists selling direct accounted for 10.8 billion of that 31.2. So about a third of a total market. And interestingly, artists who sell direct, so without even a label, putting their music on Spotify or on Bandcamp or wherever, just via aggregator, distributor, or you know, not even using a distributor in the case of platforms like Bandcamp, their revenue grew 16.6% in 2022 to generate a total of 1.8 billion. That's a 5.7 market share. That's artists with no label at all. 
that's really remarkable, I think. That's pretty incredible. But but generally speaking, independent music, 10.8 billion, bank camp revenue, let's call it 200 million. This is a small platform. There's no other way of looking at it, even in the context of independent music. It's negligible in its footprint, but it's undeniably culturally important. And just the amount of attention and hysteria that it seems to generate just tells you what it means to people. So it is significant, I think, even if the numbers don't really look like much. So Bandcamp is supposedly profitable. That's what they've said. They don't publish accounts. They never publish any accounts. The figures I've just been using come from that analysis from Andrew Thompson. And if you take that net revenue figure of 20 odd million dollars a year at face value, then it implies, and well, in combination with the statements that they've made as a platform about being profitable, it implies that it's making money, but it's not making a lot of money. I mean, operating costs on a business of staff of over 100 premises. It also runs a physical vinyl store, which I highly doubt is profitable in of itself. So margins presumably are low. And the justification for the layoffs that Song Trader has made is basically that it's actually not profitable and certainly not in any kind of sustainable way. And, you know, it's just no way of knowing what the true picture is there. But it seems likely that some kind of consolidation may have been necessary. And to be honest, it's completely standard practice when a company gets acquired like this, where functions are inevitably going to be replicated. One of the positives of that kind of acquisition is that you can make the running of the back office, for example, more efficient. So it's not necessarily just a case of asset stripping or cutting jobs for the sake of cutting jobs. You can genuinely make a business more efficient and run better like that. So it's easy to kind of demonize the acquiring company in this kind of situation. But, you know, without any firm evidence either way, you know, you've got to maintain an open mind, at least in the immediate term. It's also worth considering the fact that while Bandcamp claims to be profitable, it's done almost nothing on marketing and development of the site for a number of years. So when comparing with Spotify, for example, Spotify spends a fortune on sales and marketing. In Q3 of 2022, it spent over $400 million on sales and marketing. And the reason that it's not profitable is basically because of its attempts to gain market share, basically. So if Bandcamp had made any sort of serious effort to grow over the last 10 years, it's highly doubtful that they would have been able to be profitable as well as that. Certainly in the short term, right? Because spending on growth is is supposed to be a lost leader. So you're spending money to grow your subscriber base or grow your user base or whatever, customer base, in order for you to make money down the road. And, you know, Bandcamp has seemingly operated as a cottage industry where it doesn't actually attempt to grow in any activity-driven way. It's a function of word of mouth, basically. And in fairness, stuff like the Bandcamp Fridays, which they launched in 2020, which is uh, monthly uh, Friday where they waive all revenue, you could argue that's a pretty that's been a pretty effective marketing tool. Although the amount of revenue that's cost them because sales on the platform are significantly higher on those days. It's, I guess, a bit of an open question as to whether that's been effective in terms of a business strategy or not. It's also worth mentioning that layoffs have been absolutely par for the course 
in tech industry this year. Spotify laid off 6% of its workforce in January. And I think the example was really set by Twitter after Elon Musk took it over and basically cut a majority of the staff without really affecting the quality of the product a huge amount. And that was really just, I think, copied by, or I think the, the example of that was really followed by most of big tech. So, I mean, there was definitely a function of overhiring previous to that. So there was definitely overmanning in the sector, but it was you know, also in the context of a pretty brutal year in 2022 for stock prices. And, you know, cost cutting tends to be a response or the most common response to a plunging stock price. And this year has been the opposite in the stock market for big tech. I mean, the S&P 500 this year, I believe it was the best ever six, the best ever first two quarters of a year on record. So this is stuff which is typical to the sector. And as mentioned, like playing off stuff when there's an acquisition is also completely typical. One area which seems to be of major confusion is why Song Trader or a company like Song Trader will be interested in a company like Bandcamp. And it's interesting to note, and I haven't seen this actually pointed out anywhere else. So you heard this here first. <laughs> Song Trader also bought Seven Digital, which is a download platform, earlier this year. So they've obviously identified a way of, or a potential way of extracting value from the kind of platform which has catalog but not exclusive rights to that catalog. I, I'm reading between the lines here, but Song Trader is essentially a licensing company. It does a number of different things and it's grown almost entirely, I think, through acquisitions. But seemingly the areas that they're trying to add value are in the use of music licenses in different areas. And they're trying to trying to extract the most value from a piece of, of music. And it's it is recorded music. It's not a publishing company as far as I can see that's it's the emphasis has been on the recorded side although that is not an informed opinion so take that with a pinch of salt but seemingly what they've managed to do or what they're trying to do is extract value from these kind of download catalogs what they've proposed I think for Bandcamp is that there'll be a checkbox when you upload a new release which essentially puts forward or makes your music available for licensing under terms which no doubt are not great as as a guess but i mean you would assume that they're, they they want to add a massive amount of repertoire which they can exploit on terms favorable to them but i suppose they would argue that they're offering opportunities that wouldn't be available otherwise to owners of that catalog hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So you could probably argue pretty easily that it's in their interests to maintain Bandcamp as a going concern in its current form and to actually grow it significantly, particularly to people who are releasing music independently and releasing music even without labels, as mentioned, that's a really big growth area. And to monetize that music to its fullest extent. I mean, that's a charitable way of looking at the potential of this acquisition. But I think, you know, it's not that hard to imagine the two things being complementary to each other and it being in the interests of Song Trader for Bandcamp to, as I said, continue as it has been and grow significantly. And, you know, there are ways that they could pursue that growth, obviously through sales marketing, but also through improving the platform, which hasn't really been tinkered with that much for a significant number of years, a significant time period. And is pretty clunky, actually, for labels and for artists. So I think more for the consumer, for people buying stuff on there. I mean, it really frustrates me as a as a buyer of music, that platform. I just don't think it's great at all in terms of the way that the payments work and the you know the downloads work and like it just seems like it's it's pretty archaic actually and it could very easily, I think, be improved by a competent development team. But yeah, I mean as I said, that that is a charitable view of it. But I think one which is actually realistic. So You'll have heard me asking the question about whether Bandcamp is a kind of dangerous single point of failure in the ecosystem at this point on previous episodes of the pod. Why has that become the case? Well, in the example of our label, the example of Hot Flush, we tried to build our own platform initially, which is to say we tried to build a direct sales add-on to our website. It cost a huge amount of money it probably ate up three years of operating profits for the company. That's to say we didn't make a profit for three years due to trying to build this thing. And ultimately, it just was too expensive to maintain in addition to the initial development costs. It was just not something which was really self-supporting in any kind of meaningful way. And the huge advantage of something like Bandcamp is not only that the back end is provided to you for a pretty minimal cost, like the cost, I think, to a label to have a Bandcamp page is it's an extremely manageable if you've got a large catalogue. And obviously there are no maintenance fees, like you're not on the hook for maintaining the site or developing it. And additionally, as I mentioned before, you have a network effect of users who are like-minded people buying similar music to your own, being able to view the buying habits of their friends and other fans, which has a supporting effect on everyone else in the ecosystem. So it just makes total sense from a label or artist perspective to be on this platform. And the fact that it is so simple and efficient means I think that it's just taken over. And, you know, there are basically no serious competitors to it in the marketplace. As as I sit here trying to think of one. I just can't think of something which is comparable, which is to say it operates outside of 
the typical distribution platforms, it's not comparable to something like Beatport, even if the majority of stuff that gets sold on there are downloads. It's not comparable to that at all because you just don't have that that direct control on Beatport or any of the other big digital platforms. The delivery all runs through a distributor or an aggregator or whatever. And it's just not the same in terms of your access to your customer base, which is obviously the other big benefit of such a platform as Bandcamp is that you're able to communicate directly with your fans. I mean, that's a huge downside, not just of streaming, but of the download platforms too. And in dance and electronic music, this is one of the few areas of music, even though it is tiny, it's one of the few areas where single track downloads are still significant in the sales of a release. So it's really useful, extremely useful to be able to communicate I mean, for obvious reasons, it's extremely useful to be able to communicate with your customers. But Bandcamp is really the only major platform that I can think of that really enables you to do it at all, really, without, you know, building your own. And building your own is impractical for the reasons I've just given. The only real attempts that I've noticed in recent years to do something which might be a competitor or just an addition to a solution like Bandcamp is in crypto and crypto has acquired such a bad reputation at this point that it's really kind of lost all meaning i mean one of the articles i read for this episode goes from some pretty hard-headed analysis of music platforms and actually socials and online platforms more generally lurches from that into a completely unhinged rant and completely uninformed rant actually about cryptocurrencies generally and the total lack of utility that apparently they have. But honestly, you've heard me say, if you're a regular listener, you've heard me say many times that the underlying tech is still really exciting, I think, in in that space. And obviously, the price action there has meant that the wind has gone out of the sales and the, the attempts, a lot of the attempts, I think, to build meaningful stuff in that area have probably run out of steam to a certain extent. But I think there are definitely people who are still trying to build something serious there. So in the absence of anything else, in the traditional structures, those efforts have really got to be encouraged. And people, I think, really should be much more open-minded to them than they are. And that kind of knee-jerk, oh, it's crypto, so it must be bad. Your magic money doesn't (laughs) mean anything. Those sorts of attitudes are just really short-sighted, I think, and really quite dumb, to be honest. Other than that, there just isn't much happening as far as I can see in terms of building a like a meaningful alternative or a meaningful addition to this kind of platform. And to be honest, having a plurality of solutions in this sector, I think is more important than anything else. I think more important than the survival of Bandcamp in its current form is the development of this side of the sector to the extent that there are multiple solutions available. Because at the end of the day, when you're working for a platform, it doesn't actually matter what that platform is. If there is one single point of failure, as I've, as I've put it before, like, that's just a terrible position for a marketplace to be in. Like Distribution is king in everything, really, whether it's music or products or whatever. <laughs> Content is not king. Distribution is king. And if the distribution of music is this concentrated this certain kind of music anyway, if it's concentrated down to one platform, one solution, then that is that is just a really bad position for everyone to be in. So I think the um, aim 
of this area of music shouldn't be to save Bandcamp or maintain Bandcamp as it is. It should be for there to be multiple Bandcamps. And there needs to be a way of locking those together in some kind of a way so there's not some crazy administrative burden on labels and artists to serve those platforms. You know, the rest of the sector works with aggregation and, and platform delivery. But there's got to be a way of doing this that is you know, genuinely independent and enables people to serve their fan base and enable their fan base in the way that Bandcamp does, but isn't distilled down into this one thing which becomes you know, disproportionately powerful and disproportionately fragile. I think we've reached a point where there needs to be some kind of muscular government regulation in this sector. I think it's far too difficult for users to move between platforms, taking their followers with them, taking their audience with them. And there's a slight conflict here between the needs of businesses and the needs of individuals. And obviously in music, those two things overlap to some extent. And maybe that creates a problem. But I do think there could be some distinction between perhaps individuals and small businesses and then bigger businesses, which enables frictionless movement between these sorts of platforms, which essentially function more like utilities than businesses to a large extent in terms of the way people use them. And the barriers to entry now are such that it's just extremely difficult and resource intensive to build something which is viable and then able to attract users without people being able to move over en masse. Now, that's an extremely poorly thought out and off-the-cuff suggestion for this kind of regulation. But it does seem to me that government has failed conspicuously in the regulation of big tech up till now. And, you know, we're looking at an environment where AI is becoming much more prevalent throughout the economy. And there is a bit of a catch-up going on in Congress in America and also in, in the European Union to regulate that. But I mean, they haven't got to grips with the previous iteration of online business and online uh, interaction. So first of all, that doesn't really inspire confidence for the AI regulatory push, but also I think that it's not too late to get the previous layer of regulation in place. And that kind of move really could potentially make a big difference in building a digital economy, which has genuine plurality rather than just being dominated by a small number of big players. And, you know, Bandcamp dominating a tiny sector really is just a microcosm of Google and Facebook and now TikTok dominating at a larger level. Now, you should acknowledge that this is in conflict with one of the big regulatory moves in this area, which has been to protect privacy. So the GDPR stuff in the EU, for example, really was an effort to stop businesses abusing the use of data and, you know, you can see why they did that. But as I said, I think there needs to be some kind of distinction between big businesses and smaller businesses and individuals to communicate with their fans, with their customers in a way which doesn't have those barriers which have gone up and in a way which isn't open to abuse, which obviously was the backdrop to that kind of privacy legislation. And it's not easy. It absolutely isn't easy. But I don't think they've got it right at the moment. And having a one-size-fits-all approach to businesses, I think, is problematic. There is plenty of regulation in place in the economy which applies to different sized businesses in different kind of ways. So I think there is, there is an opportunity for this to happen. But government in you know, all parts of the world really has just been slow to keep up with big tech and tech generally and prone to lobbying efforts in a way which has just put the brakes on proper reform.
So I think this is something which really needs to happen. And hopefully at some stage it will. But, you know, it's difficult to be optimistic about that. So just to expand on that point about enabling fan bases, I mentioned that like the USP or like the most distinguishing factor of Bandcamp as a platform is the enabling of purchasers to pay more. Now, this is expressed in this piece by Andrew Thompson, which is linked to in the show notes. It's expressed as generosity, which is an interesting way of putting it. But yeah, generosity of users, which is to say the amount that they pay extra when making a purchase on the platform. Now, it's interesting that he's flagged up the differences between Bandcamp Fridays and normal days. And it it does kind of raise the question that Bandcamp Fridays, obviously that's the day where the platform gets nothing. If people give that much of a shit about, about Bandcamp, why would Bandcamp Fridays be that much more popular, right? Because if we all love Bandcamp, we want Bandcamp to survive, why are we buying music on the day that <laughs> no money goes to Bandcamp? Anyway, this is an interesting comparison. So the proportion that are generous, which is to say the proportion of customers who pay more on any given day is 18%. That's pretty remarkable. That rises to 20.72%, nearly 21% on Bandcamp Friday. So yeah, that kind of does raise a flag about whether Bandcamp is actually that loved or maybe people just don't think about it. So how much do people pay more? Well, the median ratio of generosity is 1.33. So basically people pay a third more than the listed price and that's on items which are priced normally. And then for items which are have a zero listed price, which is meaning, you know, you can pay wherever you want and there is no minimum. The median payment is $1.30. So from zero to $1.30. Now on Bandcamp Fridays, that rises to $2.43, but actually the ratio of generosity doesn't change. So either way, Bandcamp users are generous. They want to pay more to the artists that they love, but this does vary by genre of music. And this is a really interesting point. Some of the least generous music fans, according to this research, are dance music fans, (laughs) basically. The most supported genre tags, probably unsurprisingly, are ones which relate directly to some kind of identity play, which is to say LGBTQ or BLM or actually Brony was (laughs) is the second Second highest one, I had to w- look up what Brony is. It's something to do with My Little Ponies, which is, yeah, okay, whatever. But down the bottom, the least supported tags include Garage House, UK Bass, Experimental Techno, Speed Garage, Funky House. So, yeah, why might that be? Well, probably because the people buying that music are disproportionately DJs and are probably thinking about their DJ fees and thinking about it in a transactional way rather than a way in which they're thinking about the artist and how much they love the artist and they want to support them in their efforts, artistic efforts. So this is an interesting and slightly depressing, but you know, ultimately not surprising feature of the dance scene and the way dance music works on the platform. So what does this all mean? Well, basically, as mentioned, the plurality of retail, online retail, is extremely important for this kind of music or for any kind of music really. But let's just, you know, keep the focus on the dance scene generally. 
or independent music or whatever subset of the market you want to talk about, which is culturally important or we, we consider to be culturally important, plurality is absolutely key. Distribution is king and a single point of failure or anything close to it, it's an existential threat, basically. In terms of making money for artists and supporting independent labels and musicians who are making music which is niche, which doesn't have a mass audience, having the ability on a platform to unlock the willingness of fans to pay is absolutely key. Like, So streaming platforms are always criticised for not being fair, quote-unquote. It's unfair. Musicians should be compensated fairly. And this often really is kind of a meaningless platitude, but if you look at it in giving the fans of a particular artist the ability to express their fandom fully in a way that they want to do, like not making them pay more, but giving them the opportunity to do so if they wish, which the evidence shows that they do wish to and will without any kind of undue you know, coercion, that seems like a model which looks more fair in quotation marks that seems like a really important step to take and you know spotify and other platforms at spotify in particular have kind of paid lip service towards that kind of stuff like they enabled more essentially a tip jar on artist pages but it's just not the same thing and the culture when the culture on the platform is just a one-size-fits-all subscription thing it just doesn't generate the same excitement it doesn't generate the same activity and the payment model, the consumer model, the consumption model in a platform like Bandcamp is just much more conducive to generating revenue for those sorts of artists, basically. So if something's fair, if something's going to be fair, and for the word fair to mean anything, then having this kind of facility, I think, is really, really important. Okay, that's enough of that. I've probably pissed some of you off with some of that, I imagine. I didn't mean to. I think that Bandcamp is a really great platform and I love it. It's a really important part of what we do as a label and I think it's brilliant. But as I mentioned, I just don't think it's healthy to have something as dominant as Bandcamp is in music which is genuinely artistic as opposed to industry-based. I just came up with that line, but I think essentially that's the function that it fills and it's just not healthy to have everything funneled into one place. So let's try and get out of that situation shall we? That'd be good. I mean, I realised I was maybe a little bit flippant about the staff. I really hope that negotiations are productive and as many people as possible hang on to their jobs. It's a really difficult situation, I understand. And um, yeah, if I sounded a bit too flippant about that, then apologies. Anyway, anyway, solo pods are hard work. So I think we'll sign off on that, shall we? Reminder that you can support the show on patreon or through a one-off donation scubaofficial.io slash support gets you through to those options follow the spotify playlist there's a link in the show notes to that playlist and join us on my discord hotflushrecordings.com slash discord and if you wanted to go to our bandcamp page it's hotflush.bandcamp.com <laughs> for the time being no not for the time being long may it continue okay thanks for listening i'll check you back here same time, same place next week for the next episode for Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you.
let's go planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.